3: Hey, Mets fans, welcome to episode 279 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you for joining us. A quick note before we begin, we recorded this on Thursday before all the Matt Harvey news broke. So while we do touch on Harvey and his performance, we do not mention that he was DFA'd by the Mets. I don't want you to think we just chose to conveniently ignore that, which would be weird. But anyway, next week we will talk lots And I mean lots about Harvey. But for this week, first up, Chris McShane and I talk about the state of the Mets, their miserable week or so, and where we sort of see the team in all aspects. Their bullpen, their starting pitching, their uh, offense, and sort of how that stacks up at the beginning of May. So uh, enjoy. Well, Chris, welcome back from San Diego. Uh, Since you left, the Mets have gone 2-4. Uh you got to witness the two wins in person. Uh this past series against the Braves has been uh terrible, I guess is the nicest way I can say it. So, you know, given that we are we are in early May now, how are you overall feeling? What what's your state of the Mets for May third, twenty
4: eighteen? Uh well let's see. I will say no, first off, uh yeah, saw two wins over the weekend. I've been to four games this year. They're three and one. So clearly there's a solution to all of these problems. <laughs> uh, free season tickets, please, Mets. Uh, there are probably some season ticket holders right now who would hand them to me. Uh, that is true. If I, if I just asked. But but yeah, overall, I am concerned uh, because there are some glaring issues that have been apparent since, I don't know, a year ago in, in some cases. Um, I'm concerned, but I'm, I'm certainly not giving up, uh, you know, a, a 12 and two start, no team obviously is going to sustain that kind of winning percentage. Uh, but even, even where they're at right now, uh, they don't need a ton to stick around and, and be right in the mix in the division. Uh, the nationals had a, a pretty poor start to the season and, you know, I know Bryce Harper, commented like oh we're the we're the triple a uh syracuse team and we have this record that's not terrible and uh, and you know we're getting guys back and whatever but you know adam eaton is kind of on a tbd kind of timeline uh rendon keeps getting pushed back i i if i missed a recent update that he's like almost ready to go then i apologize but uh you know these these things have happened and 25 games or, or more however many games are we're into the season at this point uh they count it's it's a significant portion of what's going to make a difference in the standings later in the year so uh i i'm concerned about some of the things we've seen with the mets primarily starting pitching uh you know i, I think uh, i I'm certainly not the only one, but I wrote something back in August of last year saying already the Mets need starting pitching for next season. It was obvious. Uh, and, you know, they signed Jason Vargas. And I did not expect him to get off to the absolutely terrible start that he had. Right, <laughs> That'd be decent, but you know, that was their solution. And that, didn't even sound like something they really wanted to do. And then late in an offseason where everybody settled for way less than uh, what was expected. For some reason, they signed him for two years. Uh, like I just With don't... an option.
3: Don't forget that option.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't think... At least it's a team option. So I don't yeah. think that's a concern at this point. Uh, and, and to be fair, it's two starts and they may have rushed him back. And maybe he should have gotten actual rehab starts. Uh, plural, instead of one. You know, so I'm not even ready to completely give up on him. But that was what they saw as a solution. And I think the nicest thing I can say about the back 60% of the rotation is that Zach Wheeler has been uh, pretty decent. You know, a four-ish ERA. um, Not going super deep into games, but pitching well enough uh, to go with the cliche to keep his team in the game. Uh, You know, that's... That's not so bad. It would be a great, like, four or five. Right now, he is the three. I don't care what slot everybody is in sequentially. He has clearly been the third best starting pitcher on the team so far. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, we can, we can delve into that a little bit more. But and I think a few – a willingness to make some changes, uh, not all of them drastic, could help this team get right back on track to, you know, be fun and, and contend. Yeah. Um
3: couple of things. First of all, I I agree that the starting pitching is very, very troublesome. It is also troublesome how shaky the bullpen has been, and I know you were very much on the, the Metsy Design More relief pitchers train in the offseason. Um I was on that train as well, but not as uh, you were practically the, the conductor of that uh, <laughs> of, of that train, and uh, you know you were absolutely right, and we're seeing that very much so now. Um, I am I am concerned about starting pitching depth for a couple of reasons, uh, but especially because both Lugo and Gazellman have been pretty good in the bullpen, and so if you are going to address your starting pitching by pulling them from the bullpen then an already limited bullpen is going to be even more limited. So, you know, pitching is my primary concern. I'm not really worried about the offense, even though, you know, it can be very frustrating to watch the team get shut out, you know, twice this series. Uh, it was twice, right? They were shut out last night, too?
4: Yeah, two games in a row. That's what I thought,
3: yeah. Um,
4: and they only they only scored... I think it was just the two runs on Saturday night in San Diego when they were blown out, but Cespedes hit the home run. Right, um, in the garbage can. Right, and then the next day they score, what was the final again, 15? Uh, 14 or 15, yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever it was. A lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of been all or nothing. But... Yeah, and my,
3: my point was going to be that like, one of the things that, I, I, that I'm that i cautiously optimistic about is that, aside from Ms. Dribble Cabrera, Nobody on the team has been really raking just yet. And so I know that, you know, when Cespedes gets hot, when Bruce gets hot, those are the type of hitters that can carry a team for a couple of games. So once those guys start getting hotter, I know that the offense will, will generally improve. But you know, Allison and I were talking last week, and we were saying that if you're looking at just ERA for Matts Wheeler, and Harvey— and you had to place a bet today. Which of them would have the lowest ERA at the end of the season? We both said, you know, Wheeler's going to get our money. And I can't imagine thinking that before the season started. But that's that's where we are right now. The Mets starting pitching is, it's Syndergaard, Syndergaard to Grom and then a wing and a prayer. And I don't really see an op, a, a viable in-house option to help them right now. Do you? Uh,
4: well, before, uh, let let me toot my own horn a little before we (laughs) answer that question. Coming out of spring training, late in spring training, uh, and this could look very wrong in a month or two months or six months or however long both of them are in the rotation. But coming out of spring training, I said, I thought I would take Zach Wheeler over mats. And I don't think that was the popular opinion at the time. Uh, but I don't know, uh, for whatever reason, I felt that way at the time, and you know, right now, uh, not neither one of them has been great. But Matt's has been a, a degree, uh, a rather significant degree worse than than Wheeler. Uh, they've thrown about the same number of innings, even though Wheeler's made one fewer starts. He's thrown one third of an inning more, um, you know. And Matt's has kind of just gotten shelled. and uh, yeah. So I, I would still agree with you guys that for whatever reason, I was a little higher on with her coming into this year. Um, so I would say that with the caveat that I have no idea how long it'll be healthy. Right. And Harvey, I, I, I don't even know. I was willing, I didn't mind that they tendered him a contract. Um, you know, it, even for the Mets payroll, it's not that much money. Uh, you know, you still had team control. Maybe he could find it. Uh, it kind of, even focusing on finding it is ignoring, you know, maybe he could overcome the surgery he had and, and physically and, you know, mentally and strategically put together some combination of things and, and be good. Um, I, I know it's May I know it's early May I don't think that's happening
3: at this point yeah Harvey looks uh he just looks like toast yeah he looks like a pitcher 10 years older than he is
4: yeah so you know I still hope there's something in his future Uh but between the performance and then all of the uh wonderful takes on the internet and <laughs> in the newspaper about him. I'm just kind of ready. I'm ready for it to be over. Uh, and I, I, never thought I would feel that way about like Matt Harvey's time with the Mets, but you know, when, and, and I think the longer comments that Sandy Alderson made in, in light of the, you know, the fact that he was out that story, which seemed like a half baked report at best. Uh I thought those comments were sort of indicative of a of a player who just the team doesn't want. So why are they still just if like if it's that bad and the performance is this level, why not just DFA the guy already?
3: You do realize it's the Mets we're talking about, right?
4: Well I I do. I do. <laughs> but if you like not DFAing Jose Reyes because they love him i i under I don't agree with it, but you understand I understand why they do it. They're in love with him, they think he's marketable, they think he kind of you know has this nostalgia to him uh you know, and baseball ops will tell you that he does some baseball things well, even though they know they're lying uh <laughs> <laughs> I know those those uh of you out there who hate when we hate on Reyes will hate that, but sorry. Guy, the guy. There's nobody I would want up at the plate less in a big spot than him. Well, that was I was watching
3: the game on Monday night, uh, sorry Tuesday night, rather, with my brother at a bar, and you know, I, I want to say it was the bottom of the ninth, and there was maybe a man on base, and you know, so tying run on base, and they bring in Reyes to pinch hit, and I just said to him, you know, it's either going to be a weak pop out or a strikeout with the ball away. It's going to end this game now. There's no way Jose Reyes extends this game, and he popped out. And that shouldn't be surprising. And yet, there are still people who want him on this team, and I don't understand it.
4: Yeah. Here's so, a yeah, sentence I,
3: mean, I never thought I'd say. They signed Cody Ashey to a minor league deal today. They sh- I would rather have Cody Ashy playing for the team than Jose Reyes.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I So I guess, to me, um, it probably makes sense for us to sort of just go through... Uh, each of the three components of the roster uh, and Reyes sort of lends himself and we've touched on a lot of the starting pitching already but Reyes sort of lends himself obviously to the position player side of things and the the most frustrating thing right now to me is that they've made some accommodations and granted he hasn't had that much playing time um, but some accommodations to get him in the lineup uh, you know what, whatever the combination of it may be, uh, either Rosario not playing or playing second base in Cabrera setting or playing third base in Frazier setting. And I know that some of the older guys need some rest. But to make those kinds of accommodations for Reyes to play, I do not understand why Brandon Nimmo can't either just play over Jay Bruce sometimes or have Jay Bruce play over Adrian Gonzalez sometimes and have Nimmo play but you know it's it's tough to be uh super confident because there's only 45 plate appearances but Brandon Nemo has been the like the best hitter on the team yep uh and Cabrera's been great and Fraser has been good and Cespedes has has done a lot despite a line that was uh looking kind of bad and has been working its way in the right direction now for for the past week and a half but um even with all those guys doing what they've done, Nimmo has put up the best hitting line, and it's not even close. I do not understand why he can't get more playing time. I mean, even Conforto's been bad, uh, and and yes. I I don't think that's going to last forever. But until things start to pick up for some of these other guys, I don't get why the guy with the best line on the team is relegated to pinch hitting once in a while. And getting like one start a week. It makes absolutely no sense.
3: And I think that with the outfield as is currently constructed, giving each of those guys a day off a week right now makes total sense to me. I'm not saying this happens in August, but right now you can give each of those guys a day off a week and you start Bruce at first base another day and all of a sudden you have four games that Nimmo can start.
4: Right, and if you want to try to map it out, um, you know, the guy who gets rest can be... The lefty, so whether you know if it's Bruce uh, or Conforto, uh, you know yeah. if if Nemo's in there, because I, I think Nemo's overall approach probably lends itself better to not being so susceptible to a platoon split. Right, because he is so selective at the plate. Right, it, it's about whether or not you're throwing him strikes, and the fact that he's not just working the count and drawing walks, he is doing that, uh, but he's he's also driving pitches, you know, and and taking advantage of it. It's not just the fact that he leads the team in on base percentage by a lot, but among the guys who have 20 play appearances, which is essentially the position players, uh, he's got the second highest slugging percentage too. You know, uh, it's just try it. It's not going to overcome Jason Vargas and Matt Harvey right now, no. uh, but it might help you in the games that Syndergaard and the Grom start, you know, um, uh for a team that has been run by people who praise on base percentage so much to have a guy who's in the high four hundreds and on base percentage sitting, I just don't get it. They haven't had that many guys who do that. Yeah. You know, a one two Nimmo Cabrera or Cabrera Nemo, however you want to do it. Those those two guys at the top of the lineup should be uh, you know, a nice setup for the power hitters behind them.
3: Uh, in terms of the infield, I think we're probably on the same page here as well. You know, Gonzalez has not been as bad as I think all of us feared he'd be. Right. But he certainly hasn't been good enough to still be started the majority of the games at first base.
4: Right now. And it's it's one of those things that he's done well enough that hey, in a month, his numbers could look good. But I kind of feel like he'll just settle in. Uh around where he is now, which is just decent hitter, decent fielder. Uh, And I don't know if that's enough. And I'm not saying you
3: DFA him necessarily. Uh, I I think, I think, you know, a player with his age and with his experience might be able to reinvent themselves a bit as a pinch hitter or as a, you know, just as a starting once or twice a week type guy. I think that's, that's, Absolutely fair with the player of his age and current skill set. But, again, every game Bruce doesn't play at first base is a game Nimmo doesn't play in the outfield. And those things matter right now quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, I I don't have to uh, sugarcoat my love of Wilmer Flores. And, you know, he hasn't had the greatest start to the season, but he's had very limited playing time. And uh, he's he's doing a weird reverse platoon split thing right now, which will probably, you know, go away sooner than later because it's a small sample size thing. But, uh, you know, I, I think that overall, if you're not playing Reyes and you're not playing Gonzalez, the team is markedly better. And the problem is the front office doesn't seem to agree with that.
4: Right. So you have... The combination of Reyes and you know, again to be fair, he he hasn't played more than Nimmo, but they shouldn't be as close as they are. No, they um, but you know, you have that combination of what Reyes is doing. Uh, Lobaton and Nito are not good major league hitters. They're, I mean, they may not be major league hitters <laughs> at this stage of their yep. respective careers. Uh, Nito may very well get there at some point. Lobetone... May not ever... He never has been a good major league hitter. Uh, He's not likely to suddenly become one. Uh, I guess, you know, Kurt... Kurt Suzuki... Stumbled over that one. Uh, Kurt Suzuki is maybe uh, an example of the exception. A guy who, in his mid to late 30s, uh, has gotten better. And... You know, you just don't see that that much, especially a catcher, because right. usually
3: by the time you get to that age, your body is just so beat down you can't do anything else. You, you, it's hard enough to catch, let alone to catch and improve your offense.
4: Yeah. So yeah, you know, you just have an unwillingness to try something at first base, an unwillingness to get rid of Reyes, uh, an unwillingness to maybe just see if. Uh, some of the catching upgrades that Alderson described as marginal uh, might help you. The, they, it can't be worse, you know. He cited something about familiarity, uh, presumably with the team's you know overall approach, organization, and uh, more importantly, I think the pitching staff. But a decent catcher probably can get in and learn a pitching staff pretty quickly. Not only that, before
3: the injuries to Darno and Plawecki. How many of the Mets major league pitchers threw to either of those guys more than once in the uh, preseason? Right. It's not, it's not like these are players that have been working out with them for years and years and there's this, you know, real, real bond there. In spring training, they might have thrown into them once or twice. That's it.
4: Right. You have a, a minor leaguer who didn't overlap with any of them in their minor league careers, uh and a major leaguer who faced them as a as a rival but that's not the same thing as catching a guy um so yeah i just i don't get it i don't get why you don't i i totally understand that hey jonathan lucroy and um who's the other name that gets thrown about a lot I know some people have kind of dreamed on Salvador Perez, but It seems a little less likely. But Lucroy and uh, Real Muto, Real Muto yeah. right? I I believe that those guys may not be available at anything other than an astronomical price at this point of the season. But just try <laughs> one of the the guys who's just out there not playing right now. Bring him in. It, it can't be worse. You know, and especially as we wait longer and longer for Pleweki to come back. Um even a guy who could be just a, a modestly below league average hitter would be, be, a big would be improvement. nice. Yeah. As as opposed to, you know, pitcher level hitting.
3: Yeah. All right, well, that's that's the position, players. Let, let's talk about the bullpen a little bit because we, we already kind of touched on the starting pitching, and we'll, and we'll wrap up with that. But um, how are you feeling about the Mets' bullpen at the moment? So Let's start at the back end. How are you feeling about, let's call it, Familia, Ramos, and Blevins?
4: Uh, pretty good on Familia and Ramos. Familia has been excellent. Uh, really no other way to put it, um, which is encouraging to see coming off of you know, a, a not good year last year, uh, in all sorts of ways, including performance and injury. Uh, you know, so coming back off of that and looking at the way he's looked is extremely encouraging. I know he's blown some saves, so some people uh, might get on him for that, but you know that those overall numbers look good, and I'm not worried that he doesn't know how to save a game. Um, so he's good. AJ Ramos is uh, drawing more hatred than he deserves among Mets fans. He's so hard to watch pitch though. Yeah, I I I mean the walk rate right now is through the roof. Uh so I get that but I mean the dude still got, you know, a decent ERA uh early in the season. It's you know, I, I that doesn't necessarily define the season, but to me, I'm like, all right, he's been fine. Uh I, I don't like the relief pitcher walks, but I don't know. Maybe he's not quite toast yet is basically how I feel about him. Blevins, I'm concerned about. He's been bad. He's been very bad. Uh Like not good against lefties in big spots. A couple of the games that they lost when they had those three series in a row that they only won one out of three, you know, he came in and faced – Being admittedly great lefties, but uh, something he had been good at was getting those great lefties out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, more walks than strikeouts, super high ERA. Uh, You know, I know it's a tiny amount of innings, but a little concerned. You know, we've we've gotten to enjoy some really good years out of him, and I think there's every chance that he writes the ship. But sometimes relievers uh just have a year like this it, even if it's not permanent they have a year like this where it's just that guy's not good anymore and there's uh <laughs> nobody to play that role behind him
3: well, that's the bigger issue is that you know even with uh even with his performance as poor as it's been, there's no other lifting in the bullpen, so you're stuck with him. And you can't rest him for any significant amount of time because you in today's base modern baseball game, you pretty much need a lefty out of the bullpen. So why they don't have a second? I will not. I will not even begin to venture a guess.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: All right. Well, let's move on to the next sort of tier here. Let's say um, relievers who are not gonna, who were not considered for the starting rotation earlier this year. So uh, Seawald, the up and down Jacob Rame, the I believe now currently still down Hansel Robles, how are you feeling about that tier of bullpen pitchers?
4: Uh pretty good. Uh, Seawald's been awfully impressive. Yeah, uh, for been... a, for a guy who I was kind of like, as spring training was going on, I'm like, wait, why is he a lock? <laughs> why why is that one of the guys who's not? you know, in the mix were one of the spots and, and sort of sounding like he's got one guaranteed. Uh, you know, not that he hadn't shown anything good last year, but it wasn't like he had came up and dominated and you went, oh, wow, that's that's a, an exciting piece. Um, so he's been really good. The strikeout rate, the walk rate are excellent. Uh, the ERA is pretty good. You know, I, that's somebody who I'm, I'm happy with. Robles uh, was, I think better than most people expected in his his stint Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i i don't find that surprising uh
3: of course you don't
4: (laughs) but i've changed my tune a little bit from being a robles defender at all times to being um a robles realist i guess (laughs) he is fully capable of dominating major league opponents for a month and his ERA will probably still be around four or higher at the end of the season. It's just who he is. Um, so, you know, I, I hope he comes back and he continues to prove everybody wrong, in, including me with my current stance on him. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and Reim, Reim's tough to say. He, he He's pitched so little at the major league level. I'm rooting for him, but, you know, uh, the results obviously weren't there in the handful of appearances he's made.
3: Yeah. All right, then let's talk about the converted starters. Gazelman, Lugo, and Harvey. Um, Obviously, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. And
4: uh, Gazelman's long hair is
3: obviously what you're talking of, about. Of course, yes. Um, <laughs> Gazelman and Lugo have both, you know, they have not been perfect by any means, but they've both somewhat responded well to this role in the bullpen. Harvey has not in, you know, almost any way thrived in this this assignment. And it seems like he's pretty miserable with the, uh, the, with the demotion, at least as he sees it, demotion. And uh, as we said before, you know, if it was up to, at least if the GM was Chris McShane, he'd be possibly being DFA'd right now. So overall, do you think that these guys have been and obviously, the Harvey conversation is different. I guess with Kazelman and Lugo, are you happy with them being part of the bullpen? Or would you want one or both of them to maybe start being stretched out to take one of the rotation spots, possibly?
4: Uh, certainly happy with, with what they've both done. I think given the current reality, uh, and, and we've sort of danced around the fact that the Mets seemingly dodged a... Big bullet with Jacob deGrom not having any damage. Right. And, you know, his his uh, plan being to just be right back in the rotation on his turn on, on Monday night. That's really great news. Uh, but even in the reality that they have with a healthy deGrom, you know, Lugo might be a better option. Vargas seems like he at least needs to go back to the minors and get a couple more rehab starts to uh, you know to get back to what he may be capable of at this point. Uh but I guess I, I if they both stay in the bullpen, I'm confident they can both be good in the bullpen. But if I had to pick and choose what to do here, I think I would have Lugo go join the rotation, Gazelman stay in the bullpen, uh and and hope that Anthony Swarzak is back soon. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of the forgotten man right now
3: because he, uh, there's no, re- I mean, have they given a real timetable for his return?
4: Uh, no, the only time they did was that he was close to coming back, and then he went out, and he, you know, as he was working his way back, kind of felt the whole same thing again, and that was it. We haven't heard anything. Damn. Um, All right, any other starting pitching notes you want to make? Um... T- t- no, just <laughs> right now, thank goodness for Zach Wheeler. But if his durability turns out to be the same, then, uh, you know, Corey Oswald's going to have to be good. Vargas is going to have to drastically improve from his first two starts. And they may still have to get somebody else. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, you know, that's, the, that's a pretty heavy lift. So, hey, Zach Wheeler, please just stay healthy. And just think, they could
3: have had Bartolo Colon in a minor league deal.
4: Right now. And people were mocked for even bringing up the fact that they wanted, wanted Bartolo back by certain corners of the Mets' Twitter uh, universe. Wonderful place that it is. Mm-hmm. You know, Bart- Bartolo in his 2.87 ERA. <laughs> his in is perfect and thirty perfect game. Innings. Yep. Yeah. Pitching for the Rangers, who play in a hitter's park. Doing exactly what he does... Not that many strikeouts, but almost no walks. Uh, Ironically, that perfecto was lost on a walk. But, you know, less than one walk per nine innings and not giving up that many home runs. Kind of doing his home run rate per nine has been in the one-point teen uh, range so many times over the course of his career. And that's just still where he's at. And I know he was bad last year, but, you know, for for how strongly they seem to uh, deny having interest in him and, you know, the fact that we had heard, I forget who the other player was, um, but another player saying that, oh yeah, he, he'd love to go back to the Mets. And the Mets being like, nah, we're good. And having it turn out this way is kind of satisfying in a way, but also kind of, frustrating
3: it would be satisfying if i thought the mets would learn their lesson
4: right but they won't yeah go see what Ari Dickey's up to hey
3: man dude
4: try to unburn that bridge
3: i want both Dickey and cologne back on the team so
4: yeah hey if, can you if, whatever the results would be can you imagine the entertainment it would be way more entertaining than whatever vargas harvey matts are capable of, to go, hey, we got Syndergaard de Grom, uh, Dickie, we- Dickie Bartolo, and, and then whichever Wheeler. one of those yeah. guys is, is like healthy and not awful. Oh, man. It'd be more entertaining. It'd, it'd be more fun.
3: Way better quotes, too.
4: Oh, yeah. <sighs>
3: All right, last question I'm going to ask you, then we're going to get <laughs> out of here. Yes. Um, a month of Mickey Calloway. How do you feel so far?
4: Overall, good. Uh, you know, I think he's... I think he's done something right here in terms of the overall tone, um, with you know just the way the team's approaching things—the kind of a like a fresh start—and uh, I think that's worked well for most guys. Um,
3: would you call it a new start? A N U start?
4: Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I would.
3: <laughs> you wouldn't get that personalized license plate?
4: Yeah, maybe maybe not, but. Yeah.
3: that's a deep arrest development joke for anybody who's uh, paying attention at home
4: oh yeah but (laughs) Uh, but he's made some weird in-game moves and I hope he can learn from them I I forget one of them what was it where he like burned Jay Bruce in a spot where he got obviously intentionally walked yeah he,
3: he essentially pinch hit with Jay Bruce in a spot where there was no doubt he'd be intentionally walked and then you know instead of of in the post game remarks being like, yeah, I done goof there, first time manager, etc. He kind of doubled down on it, and right. that that's to me more alarming than necessarily a a funky in game move is the inability to to call yourself out on that.
4: Yeah, yeah. So and I think and the next morning he joked about it a little, and that that was like, all right, I feel a little bit better, but I didn't feel like it was in a way that was. Uh hey i made a mistake you know as a new manager who kind of has you know this fresh approach what i was hoping to hear after that game was you know if i could do it over again i would do it differently i made a mistake and i'm going to learn from it and i feel like he's at it he has the personality and he's at a juncture in his managerial career being this early that he could say that and people would just go oh i respect that
3: absolutely absolutely
4: uh, so I was hoping to hear that, and then I can't think of any other examples uh, with specifics. My my memory with games doesn't just work that way. <laughs> um, but you know, there have been some curious moves, um, just in terms of when he pinch hits, or um, there was one of these recent games. I think Gary Cohen was talking about, um, you know, that he he kind of missed an opportunity to double switch. So you had a relief pitcher spot up in a weird place. And at a time that it would have been obvious to to do it. Um, And there were a couple of times
3: I feel like he was maybe a bit too cute with the bullpen in terms of not giving a pitcher. Like it was one of of those blowout innings where he went through like five or six relief pitchers in an inning where you could have done with two.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And and also – the the first like that bullpen complete meltdown against the Nationals that one, mm-hmm. I I know a couple guys came in and looked like they had nothing, or at least made mistakes, but I I wondered the next that night and the next day and as that series went on, um, you know how how does that play out if one of those guys just gets the inning? It can't you know? have been worse. Well, you know. It could- Right, it, it could have been exactly the same, um, but there was a part of me that was like, if if one guy just had the chance, rather than throwing five guys into the fire, maybe the one guy settles down uh, and and gets something. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I mean, in, in his defense, uh, every one of those guys who pitched that night was bad, but it's things like that. So I'm I'm overall I'm feeling good about him. I do hope that whatever he's saying publicly, uh, that he's kind of taking notes and figuring out things that he can, he can learn uh, and improve upon. So.
3: Yeah, I concur. So
4: uh, too long.
3: Didn't listen. The state of the Mets isn't great right now, but neither one of us is necessarily ready to throw in the towel just yet. Yes. And with the not having any structural damage and Cinder you know, having a rough first inning on on Tuesday night, but then settling into their nice game, there's at least some hope on the horizon for two of the members of the rotation. Yeah. So, let's hope they get another hot streak and set themselves up to maybe add a pitcher later this season. There we go. That's as optimistic as I can be right now. So, let's go for it.
2: This is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and today we are going to talk about uh, mostly Sandy Alderson's comments about the catching situation, which I thought were kind of bland, but also kind of interesting. He uh, Before uh, Tuesday night's 3-2 loss to the Braves, in which uh, the Mets were mostly shut down by rookie starter Mike Soroka and only got a Joanna Cespedes home run before the ninth inning, in which they scored uh, in part to the Braves not being able to catch a pop up by Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, the Mets nearly came back; they got the tying run into scoring position, but fell three to the to the Braves. Uh, Ioannis Cespedes, who is coming back from what uh, what looked like a uh, it was a thumb injury, it looked like it might be a more major thumb injury, but he has showing he was showing zero effects. He went three for four and uh, at one point had a hit in six straight at bats. So that's pretty awesome for Cespedes because we know the Mets need to get him going uh, because they're not getting a lot of offense out of that catching situation. The platoon between Jose Lobaton and Tomas Nito is uh, not working out that well, at least on the offensive side. Sandellerson said he's happy how the tandem is playing on defense and that he's looked into the trade market but he hasn't even reached the price or he hasn't even reached the point to which the teams would discuss a price yet and the reason for that is because teams are very protective with their catchers there's not a lot of them out there he said if if a team gives one of their catchers up and then someone gets hurt then suddenly they're in the same situation that the Mets find themselves in with not reeling a run not a starting caliber catcher on the roster so uh, this is going to not make fans happy, especially those who wanted the Mets to trade for JT Real Muto, But like I've talked about before, Realmuto is is not someone the Marlins are just going to trade away just because I've dealt, they've dealt away a lot of other key players over the winter. Remember the uh, team uh, president Derek Jeter was he was he uh, basically grew up on a team that had strong leadership from the catcher position in. Joe Girardi and Jorge Posada, so it wouldn't be surprising to see him want to build this team against JT Realmuto, especially how he's played since uh, since starting the season a little late due to injury. He's played really well, so if the Mets really wanted to get JT Realmuto, he it would, it would take a really good package, probably, uh, probably uh, centered around Michael Conforto or Ahmed Rosario, and from the Mets fans that I've spoken to. That's not something that they're willing to do to trade one of those uh, key future pieces for one of the Marlins' key future pieces in Real Muto. So, uh, like I said before, I wouldn't be surprised if the Marlins try to build around this guy rather than use him as trade bait. But that could tra- that could change in July. But it just it doesn't look like the Mets are going to get anything done now, even as Kevin Pujols' injury uh, appears to be holding out a little longer than we initially anticipated, and I know Mets fans are used to hearing that, but the, with the way uh, Ioannis Cespedes came back really quickly from his thumb injury and the way Michael Conforto came back a month early from from his shoulder injury, although now I'm sure that he's slumping. He went 0-4 for 4 again on uh, Tuesday night, and I'm sure some fans are going to say that Conforto came back too early, but there's just no way to tell if... What he's doing at the plate is injury-related or not. He's still getting on base, which is a good thing. Uh, since he, uh, although the Mets have started to move him down in the order, he's still a top-of-the-order quality hitter, it appears. So that's good, and hopefully Conforto can start picking up his game the way Cespedes has over the past couple of days. Uh, on the other hand, Ahmed Rosario still doesn't look like a Major League quality hitter. He's still super young. He's still got a lot of tools but his defense hasn't been as top notch as we hope and he's still striking out a lot although just from watching him it feels like he's making a little more contact than he did in like the first week or so of the season first couple weeks of the season but the the results just haven't been there consistently yet so that is a situation to watch The good news comes on the first base front where, and this is really more of a minor league thing, but Peter Alonzo has been so hot lately. He's got five home runs in his last six games. He's hitting 400, 500, 788 with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies this year. Three-run home run on Tuesday night to cap a comeback victory over the Akron Rubber Ducks. It's just been, everything's been coming up Alonzo. He's been, uh, absolutely looked like one of the best prospects in the organization, if not the best prospect, if the Mets had to call up a force baseman tomorrow, uh, Alonzo would be the guy. He looks uh, like he might be a stronger future player than than Dominic Smith. Uh, Alonzo is a second-round pick out of college, Dominic Smith's first-round pick out of high school, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But just the way is hitting the ball, it's got to make Mets fans uh, really excited and it makes it makes me really excited about about the future of that position which really looked up in the air just the way the way smith is uh gets mixed 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 reviews from scouts and obviously Adrian Gonzalez he got off to a nice start but obviously it doesn't look like he's going to be where he is for longer than one year a lot of Mets fans want him out sooner than that but he continues to have a good at bats he's fine Fine placeholder, especially if Cespedes and hopefully Conforto come around. So, I think Peter Alonso is is one of the biggest stories uh, in in Mets land these days because of how his play has changed uh, the future plans of the organization and hopefully in a major way. And uh, kid looks like you know it's only been a month at Double A, but he looks like he could be a real star at the plate for this team, and that's that's awesome because. The Mets uh, are obviously not in a position where they're going to go out and spend a huge chunk of change on the free agent market. They already have Ioannis Cespedes locked in for the future. So uh, having a guy pop up like Alonso could be enormous. And uh, last thing I'll do is touch on the Matt Harvey situation. A lot of Mets fans either try to kill Matt Harvey or just defend him steadfastly. Um, I'm not much of a Harvey guy. I just think it'd be super easy of him to to uh just in his the way he uh communicates with the press to defuse this situation and and uh fans are right about the the press does not take his injury history into account enough that's on some of those those writers and and they don't have to uh they don't have to attack him for not talking to the press—that's his right. But when he says things like "I don't effing want to," and when he says things like "I'm a starting pitcher," instead of saying "Hey, I'll hit, help this pitch out this team out," however I can, it—it's just he's making it harder for himself. And that's—that's that's something that's already been said. But it just, it's just—it's just I feel like it's too easy for for uh, for him to say the right things, and time after time he doesn't do that. So that's unfortunate. Hopefully. He will get healthier and have success in the bullpen and maybe work his way back into the rotation, depending on what happens with Jason Vargas and Steven Matz and the rest of the struggles that the Mets are having in that area of the team. But uh, for now, hopefully he just pitches well, and that's all we can hope for for Matt Harvey. And uh, that's it for today's segment this has been Aaron York from Amazing Avenue Audio
5: hey everyone this is Steve Swiper and I'm back to go over our Money League Players of the Week now we just finished week three which is April 22nd to the 28th now before I get to the players just a little bit of bookkeeping Las Vegas is 9-14, and 14, Binghamton is 10-9, and St. Lucie is 10-12, and 12, and Columbia is 12-11. and 11. So all in all, it's not really that encouraging, all those losses. But I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the farm does have a lot of talent. You just kind of need to know where to look to find it. And a lot of those talented guys, they're young, and they're not even playing yet. So... The records of those teams is kind of reflective of that. Once the summer really starts and Brooklyn gets on the field, Kingsport, and the GCL Mets, and maybe we get some promotions and the draft comes, that's when I think things will get a little bit better at the lower side of the minors. Now, for this week, picking the pitcher of the week was actually kind of tough. We had two pitchers that really had great performances. They basically put up almost the same exact pitching line, Uh, They had the same amount of innings, same amount of runs, same amount of hits, same amount of walks. They both actually almost threw the same amount of strikes and balls in their game, uh, individual games. The only real difference is that one of the two struck out an extra batter, but he also hit a batter. So, you know, kind of had to dock a point for that and getting the extra strikeout. But you know what? I said screw it. So for the first time ever in the history of this podcast, I think, I'm going to be making co-pitches of the week. And those two pitchers are, co, are uh, teammates on Columbia, right-hander Chris Vile and right-hander Tony DeBrell. Vile threw uh, 5.1 innings this week, allowing two runs on five hits. He walked two, he struck out 12, and he hit a batter. DeBrell also threw 5.1 innings. He allowed two runs on five hits. He walked two, and he struck out 11. The Vile was pitcher of the week last week and nothing's really changed in regard to his outlook or anything, so I'll be brief with him. But I was looking his numbers over and in a interesting quirk due to the fact that he's recording so many of his outs via strikeout and he's only scattering a couple of hits, his BAP up his excuse me, his bat-ip is an extremely high four sixty two, despite the fact that opposing batters are hitting 222, 338, 259 against him. For any listeners that don't really understand or know what bat bip is, which I don't think are many, but I'll just go over it anyway quickly. Bat the batting average balls in play. Basically, usually the higher the bat is, the higher the batting averages. But because, like I said, Vile is just striking so many guys out, the only hits that he is allowing are falling in for hits. So now, looking at Dubrell in more in depth. Um, in four starts this year, he's thrown the same amount of innings that he pitched last year with the Brooklyn Cyclones, and the results are actually kind of similar. Uh, 2017, he posted a 5.03 ERA in 19.2 innings, all in relief. He allowed 19 hits, four of which were home runs in Brooklyn and the rest of the New York Penn, uh teams. He walked eight, and he struck out 28 batters. This season, while his ERA is a little bit bloated, his uh, FIP, his Fielding Independent Pitching, is a much more tolerable 4.8, and his ex-FIP is a 3.3. 3.03, excuse me. DeBrell, I think, has the upside of a mid or a back-of-the-rotation starter, and I personally believe that he will be a top-10 prospect next season. I wrote that in our Bold Predictions for the minor leagues at the beginning of this, uh, the year, uh, as it is, I consider him to be the Mets' nineteenth best prospect, and if he has a good season, I could see him making you know moving up nine, nine points into the top ten. Uh, what makes me bullish on him is that uh, well, he has he has good stuff. His uh, fastball sits about low to mid nineties; it can top out as high as ninety six miles per hour. When he throws the pitch down, it shows some sink, but otherwise it really doesn't have too, too much movement. Um, The biggest problem with his fastball right now is that, at least last season anyway, at times it backed up into the high 80s and low 90s. And while you'd think it'd be easy to just say that it was because he was pitching a lot last season, you know, he threw a career-high 115 innings between his time in college at Kennesaw State and then Brooklyn, um, and the fact that he threw 99 or more pitches in 10 of his 14 collegiate starts. It's easy to say those things might be why his velocity was backing up, but it's not necessarily the case. His fastball velocity, velocity actually backed up a lot when he was pitching in the Cape Cod League in 2016, and he threw a much lighter pitching load that spring. So the more likely culprit to his suddenly diminishing velocity are his mechanics, um... His delivery is a bit violent. He has a very live but very stiff arm. And he has some extra moving parts and effort in his delivery and follow-through. And because of that, he doesn't always repeat his mechanics, which generates control issues, and it affects his pitches. Fastball um, aside, he complements it with a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. The slider is generally considered to be his best breaking pitch, and it gets graded at by scouts as being above average. Uh, it sits in the low 80s and features some hard biting two plane action. But his changeup is also a really good pitch, and others actually consider that to be his best pitch. Uh, that pitch also sits in the low 80s and it has good fade and it has good tumble to his arm side. And rounding out his arsenal is that curveball, and it sits in the high to mid. It sits in the mid to high 70s, and it features kind of soft 11 to 5 break. And it's especially effective when he throws it down in the zone and batters uh, go fishing for it. Generally speaking, he uses uh, that curveball and his slider to um, attack pitch, attack hitters, and get strikeouts. And he uses the fastball and his changeup to kind of start off batters and put them behind in the count. So the key to Debreu, uh fulfilling his potential is basically going to be his... Ability to adjust his mechanics and eliminate as many inefficiencies as possible While at the same time maintaining the bite that his pitches have and not sacrificing their effectiveness a lot of times a Player, you know a pitcher or a batter can change something in order to fix one problem and it causes It ends up causing another problem. So if Debrell can basically just work on his mechanics and work on his control and not sacrifice any of his effectiveness with his fastball and his off speed stuff, then that's a pretty good mid or back of the rotation guy. And now, our hit of the week, and no surprise, it's Binghamton first baseman Peter Alonso. Uh, for the week, he hit 571, 690, 1.095 um, with two doubles, three homers, six RBI. Eight walks and four strikeouts. Alonso had a great week, but you know, he's been killing the ball really for months now. Uh, after starting out 2017 slow, he made a few adjustments and he's basically been on fire ever since. Uh, here's a breakdown. In June 2017, he hit 275, 352, 500 in 22 games, slugging three home runs. In July, he hit 336. 394, 603, and 29 games, and he slugged eight home runs. In August, uh, he hit a combined 312, 395, 569, and 29 games with St. Lucie and Binghamton, and he slugged five home runs. So what exactly did Alonzo change? Um, he credits working with St. Lucie manager Chad Kreuter and pitching coach Luis Nadero in June of last year on helping him basically make some physical changes to his swing and his approach at the plate. Basically, he shortened up on two strike counts and he adjusted his swing so that his launch angle would um, be higher and he would make consistently hard contact with the ball. But even those two very important things aside, some mental changes and some advice that he got might be the biggest difference between okay, Alonso and super good Alonzo he talked about it on in an interview and I'm going to quote him here he said quote I definitely put pressure on myself being in my first year it's a new environment and then you have to add in some adversity with the lo- injury and performance I call it my figure out year I had to compartmentalize to get my mind off the struggles I could stand people thinking maybe damn it Pete's up when things are going bad people are going to get frustrated and it can be tough to get out there I've never been known to dip below 200, like ever. I wanted to hit the panic button, but I'm proud of myself for getting out. Mentally, I'm a tough son of a bitch. After I hurt my hand, I was hitting 150-something at one point, and that was incredibly difficult for me, but I finished at 286. It was rough. Not only was it the injury, but I was struggling even after coming back. After the All-Star break, I had to claw my way back one step at a time. Whether I did well or poorly, I had to flush it. Make each game its own thing. Isolate it. I can't think about 300 when I have a game that day. But once I got rolling, there was a kind of desperation to show show that all that was past me. End quote. So if Alonso's defense was as good as his offense, he might be getting a lot of consideration as being a top prospect in baseball. Uh, As it is right now, he only appears on lists focusing just on first basemen, And he's usually on the back end of those lists in terms of being a top 100 prospect in baseball completely he was not included in a single list uh, despite hitting 289 359 524 in 93 games last year and a lot of that is because he is basically stuck at first base and he's really not that good at playing first base Another quote from him is, I was terrible. Not a lot of people want to say that about themselves, but I will because I was. I was terrible. End quote. At least he is able to acknowledge that. Um, Basically, it's not like he was just kind of showing bad range or stone feet, things like that. But his range was below average. He was just kind of slow getting into proper fielding position once the play started. His footwork around the bag was poor, and really he had uh, a lot of trouble completing even kind of like routine plays, like catching regular old pop-ups and even fielding throws. Uh, For whatever reason, he just kind of has problems doing things that really should come naturally to any player, let alone a guy that performed, you know, in a high level in college and now in the minors. But Alonzo made it a point to work on his defense during the Instructional League's last season... And given that we're only a month into this season, we really won't be able to see the fruits of that work until you know a couple more months go by. But hopefully he can go from just being completely brutal to maybe just being completely bad. I mean, defense at first base really doesn't matter that much, especially if he's going to be mashing like he is right now. So as long as he can just do the bare minimum basic things, I'll take that. That's fine with me. And because I like throwing shade, for what it's worth, Will Craig is hitting 190, 362 for the Altoona Curve, which is the Pirates' double-A affiliate. And basically, up until maybe the day of the draft in 2016, the Mets were connected to Craig, and it was almost a foregone conclusion that they were going to draft him with their first-round pick. So, you know, you never know what he might be doing right now if he was in the system with different coaches and different philosophies and things like that. But it's looking like the Mets for once did something really good (laughs) and they picked the right guy and they're getting basically all and more of the production that Craig would have been able to produce with with their pick of Alonso. And in addition, they have... Justin Dunn, who they did pick with that pick in 2016, and Anthony Kaye, who they picked with their second first-round pick in 2016. So that those are our plays of the week for Week 3, and I will talk with everyone next week.
3: Folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it, and we hope you come back and join us next week for our Matt Harvey sit rep and just kind of see what's going on with the Mets in a week because it seems like week to week things are rapidly changing. You can always go to AmazingAvenue.com if you can't wait that full week and check out what we write about the Mets. There's so much good stuff on there. We have some amazing writers, especially some of our newer writers that are really stepping up and doing incredible stuff. So go to AmazingAvenue.com, check out their work. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AmazingAvenue. You can download this show directly from blogtalkradio.com or grab it from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. We ask you to please rate, review, and subscribe. Those things really do help get the word out about our show. I know every podcast in the universe says that, but they say it for a reason. It does help. Uh, We are possibly getting a new email address, so I'm not going to give you our email address right now. I will just say um, stay tuned for our new email address. Uh, Long story. Don't worry about it. And you can follow our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane, Aaron is at Aaron P. York, and Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next week, we'll hopefully have some answers to a few questions about Matt Harvey. We'll hopefully have a team that doesn't lose seemingly terribly all the time. And uh, lots more right here on Amazing Avenue Audio. So until next time, let's go Mets.